Welcome to Mindful, the podcast of the Canadian Psychological Association. My name's Eric Bowman. I'm the communications person at the CPA. Throughout the month, we've been bringing you stories of psychologists doing incredible and innovative things during the pandemic. And today we're doing something a little different, although it's still incredible and innovative. Uh, Ordinarily, when podcasts share the podcasts of other people, it's because they're on the same platform. Like, we're on Wondery, so here's a preview of the new season of American History Tellers on Wondery. Our podcast doesn't have a platform like that, so when we share this new podcast today, it's simply because it's good, and it's been created by three of our terrific members. Doctors Lila Din Osman, Mary Simmering McDonald, and Jen Vrend have been friends ever since they did an internship together at the Children's Hospital of Eastern Ontario. Uh, For those of you from the Ottawa region, that's CHEO. Now, all three are child psychologists in private practice in Ottawa, and they realized that during the pandemic, the demand for their services was skyrocketing, and there was no way they could keep up. So they decided one of the best ways to connect with as many parents and kids uh, as they could would be to start a podcast. It's a lot of work to learn podcasting on the fly, but they've taken it on and they are doing a great job. Here on Mindful, the CPA is happy to introduce you to the first episode of The Coping Toolbox, a child psych podcast. Hello and welcome to The Coping Toolbox, a child psychology podcast hosted by clinical psychologists Dr. Layla Din Osman, Dr. Mary Simmery McDonald, and Dr. Jennifer Rend. We hope that this podcast helps parents, children, and teens learn new coping skills in dealing with their stress and anxiety, and to help strengthen relationships in their lives. Hello, everyone. I'd like to introduce ourselves. My name is Dr. Layla Din Osman. And my co-hosts are Dr. Mary Simmery McDonald and Dr. Jennifer Vrend. All three of us are licensed clinical child psychologists working in private practice in the city of Ottawa, Ontario, Canada. The three of us wanted to start a child psychology podcast in order to share important information or coping strategies with parents and children during a time when access to resources is quite limited and the waitlist for services is very long. Today's podcast is all about coping strategies for children, adolescents, and parents during the COVID-19 pandemic. We know that the pandemic has had a huge impact on children's mental health. In Ontario, research conducted by Children's Mental Health Ontario suggested that over 60% of children were experiencing worsening mental health symptoms in the first few months following the start of the pandemic. This increase in mental health difficulties is likely linked to increased feelings of loneliness, stress around health-related difficulties such as catching COVID-19, increased stress at home, and a decrease in access to resources. I'd like to now introduce my co-hosts, Dr. Mary Simmery McDonald and Dr. Jennifer Vrend, in order to discuss some of the coping strategies that children, adolescents, and parents can use during this very stressful time. Welcome, Dr. Jen and Dr. Mary. I'm going to start asking you some questions about uh, your impressions on um, parenting and coping during COVID. So Dr. Jen, I was curious to hear if you've noticed an increase in mental health needs in your clinical work. Yes, definitely. Um, And uh, an increase really across the board. So 
things like anxiety, depression, anger management, sleep problems, uh, academic issues, parenting uh, increases, like I say, uh, across the board and uh, really, really high demands in all areas right now. Okay, great. And, and Dr. Mary, how about you? Yes, absolutely. Um, similar areas as to what Dr. Jen was mentioning, um, just you know, across the board, all areas of difficulty. And I'm finding that there are just difficult times uh, or that my clients are having difficulty with their general functioning. Um, things like doing their schoolwork and day-to-day tasks have been really tough. And the other thing that's really been sticking out to me is how much my teenage clients are struggling with feelings of loneliness. Um, Of course, this completely makes sense, given that peer relationships are such an important part of this developmental stage. Um, But that's been really tough. Dr. Jen, I was wondering, what are some of the simple things parents can do to help right now? Yeah, so to be honest, I think it actually starts with taking care of ourselves Um, You know, we hear this all the time, but self-care is really so important and our kids are watching us. And uh, I actually, all the kids I work with, one of my questions is often, you know, how are you, how are you feeling your parents are coping? Uh, Because the way that our parents are coping is really going to affect, you know, the way that the kids are coping. Um, So, you know, I think thinking about things like, are we sleeping uh, a solid amount? Are we eating well? Are we exercising? you know, implementing a good routine is really important. Um, The other piece is um, just making sure that your, your children know that it's okay to talk about things. Um, I'm a big fan of, you know, letting your, your kids communicate um, and even kind of checking in on them and seeing how they're doing. All of those things I think are really helpful for our kids. Sounds good. And, and you mentioned the, um, the fact of whether parents are, you know, uh, meeting their basic needs around sleep, eating, exercise, I think that's um, so critical. And, and definitely what I've noticed in my clinical work as well is, is sleep seems to be impacted quite a bit, especially for children. Um, a lot of kids are not sleeping well right now, and that's most likely a result of the stress that they're feeling throughout the day. Um, and, and possibly due to, uh, some of the struggles with setting up a routine or getting enough physical exercise during their day during COVID. So, um, that sleep part is something I definitely have noticed quite a bit, um, during COVID as, as, uh, coming out as one of the first symptoms of children may be in distress, uh, right now. Definitely, definitely. And I'm seeing a lot of that too. And, uh, you know, both parents and children complaining or, you know, talking about some of the challenges with sleep right now. And it's a bit of a tough one because sometimes if we try, you know, too hard and we focus too much on sleep, it can actually make it more difficult. Right. So I think just kind of going back to some of the the basic things, like you said, like making sure we're getting enough exercise, um, getting outside, having that routine before bed. And it's, it's hard when we're feeling stressed and overwhelmed to have any sort of routine. Uh, But all of those things are so important. And, you know, I think as parents, we realize those are important for kids, but sometimes we forget that they're important for us as well. So just making sure we have that wind down time at the end of the day is really critical. That's great. Yeah. And I know, um, Dr. Jen, you've done quite a bit of work in the area of sleep um, and sleep routine and and studying sleep in graduate school, right? So I know you know a lot about that area. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is so important, I think, to lay those foundations for um, feeling well and developing well. And, and sleep is one of those foundations, right? Eating, sleeping, exercising. It's kind of like without those, um, not much else can happen in terms of mental health and well-being. Um, so it is a critical area. Um, 
Can you speak a little bit more about the uh, need to normalize feeling it, feelings of distress right now in uh, not only children, but parents as well, um, and why that's important? For sure. So um, I think everybody is feeling quite overwhelmed right now, myself included, um, all my friends, everyone I talk to, my clients. Um, it's a really difficult time. And one of the things I've been practicing is just allowing myself to feel some of those feelings right? So sometimes we feel sad and we don't want to, um, or we feel uh, anxiety and we don't want to, um, but it's a really difficult time and we're going through a lot. And I think it's actually really important that we just allow ourselves to feel that feeling for a little while. We don't want to sit in it for too long, but just to kind of say to yourself, you know what, I am feeling really upset right now, but it's okay, right? Or maybe I'm feeling sadness about things that I've lost and that's okay, um, so just allowing ourselves to feel that for a little while um, and knowing that a lot of other people are feeling that way too. Uh, as I said, you don't want to sit in it too long. So allowing yourself to feel that feeling, but then maybe deciding, okay, you know, now I need to do something to get my mind off of this. I need to get outside. I need to call a friend. I need to reach out to someone and uh, trying to figure out, okay, how can I pull myself out of that now that I've allowed myself to feel it? Yeah, I think that's a great point, right? So this idea of it's totally healthy and normal for us to be feeling stress right now and um, to acknowledge it because we can't suppress, we can't ignore those feelings. And that's um, especially important to model for our children is that negative emotions or distress during a difficult period is healthy and a normal human experience um, versus trying to pretend away like nothing is happening right now for us, right? Um, but then moving into a model of uh, showing our children how we can be proactive about addressing um, our circumstances in a way, um, or in ways that we can, right? We can't make COVID go away, but we certainly can control certain aspects of our day-to-day -day life. Um, and modeling that behavior for our children, I think is critical, um, for them to feel a sense of control in the situation or some sense of control. Um, what do you think about that, Dr. Mary? I know, I know, um, that's something you feel is very important as well. Yes, absolutely. You know, really focusing on what's in our control. And I will add to that as well, that, you know, some of these coping strategies that we engage in, we might not feel, you know, as well as we might have under different circumstances afterward. And that's okay too. That doesn't mean that it's not working. That doesn't mean that the coping strategies aren't still helping us. It just means that we have really high demands on us right now. So I think it's also important to manage our expectations about how we might feel after engaging in some of these strategies. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a good point. And I, and I think it brings up that idea of, um, self-compassion and uh, lowering in a way our expectations of what we can can't do right now and how we should or should not be feeling. Um, and that idea of being kind to ourselves, right. And, and being uh, mindful that um, there's only so much we can do as parents or that we can expect from our children uh, right now as well. And that's one too. I talk to my, my clients a lot, um, in particular, the parents that I work with, um, because when we're stressed out, we tend to be very critical, very, uh, very hard on ourselves. And now's not the time that we need to do that. Um, and I think taking that step back and, and allowing yourself, um, you know, to just to be a little more gentle on yourself. And it's interesting too, because when I talk to parents about that, I think it's important for the kids to be doing that too. And again, it comes to that modeling, comes back to modeling. Whereas parents, if 
we're modeling that behavior, our kids will start to see it and they'll actually start to do it as well. Absolutely. Yeah. I know, um, in, in our house, for example, I've been trying very hard to, um, model that practice of gratitude, right? So every day things that I'm thankful for, for, even if they are quite simple. So things like, uh, in our house, sitting down, having breakfast together, for example. Um, and when you say those things out loud, your children internalize them, right? Where they're like, Oh yeah, I am grateful for that too. Or that is something that I should acknowledge. Um, so modeling that behavior, I think is, uh, a very important parenting strategy right now, especially, but uh, generally speaking is, um, you know, practicing um, what you want your children to notice as well, right? That gratitude. So um, how are some other ways gratitude can be modeled or um, practiced for kids? Yeah. So I think, you know, just as you're talking about saying some of these things out loud is a really lovely way of doing that. Um, you know, continuing to be kind to ourselves and, and really understanding if we're not able to get it all done, you know, kind of focusing on more the positive aspect of that. Okay, we were able to do this much and, and that's okay. We're, you know, kind of practicing being okay with good enough rather than looking for perfect. Um, so I think just those general discussions and modeling that as parents, um, actually verbalizing some of those thoughts that we might be having so that our kids are really getting that feedback and um, really seeing us model that for them. I think too, um, I think as well, Dr. Layla, you had mentioned sort of doing, you know, these, this, you know, talking about things that you're grateful for at dinner time. And I think kind of making a bit of, of that family time where you're practicing gratitude is really important too. So whether it be at mealtime or another big one that I talk to, to my teens and, and some of the younger children about is, is doing it before you go to bed, before you go to sleep at night. And it just kind of puts you in a more positive mind frame right before falling asleep, which I think can be really nice. Um, the other big thing that I talk about um, is uh, acts of kindness, right? And it's, you know, it's, it kind of goes hand in hand with the gratitude. And, and sometimes that can be, it can make you feel really nice to do something kind for someone else. And I think everybody appreciates those act of, acts of kindness that much more right now, because we're all having such a difficult time. I agree. Yeah, that's a great uh, suggestion. So practicing kindness as well, right, to one another and how that models kindness for our children uh, during a time of very high stress, it can be a soothing um, experience, right, to receive and give kindness um, to others. So that's a, a wonderful suggestion. That's been such a nice thing that we've witnessed during this period of COVID, um, just seeing families come together and in some cases neighborhoods, you know, where, where kids are doing things like um, drawing pictures for frontline workers and putting them in their windows, um, just things like that, where it kind of feels like there's this shared community effort toward kindness, I think also really helps with some of the isolation and loneliness that um, we also have been going through during this very, very strange period. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I totally agree that that kind of notion of, of shared experience through something difficult, right? And how that can, in some way, lift the load um, that we're feeling on our shoulders, right? Knowing that others are experiencing what we're going through at the same time as us and um, that they're still there for us if we if we need them, right? So um, I think that shared human experience is also, from a psychological standpoint, um, something that can benefit us, right? As we move forward. Um, 
I thought we would talk a little bit now about the role of um, mindfulness and being out in nature um, and how important that is. Um, just in terms of, of simple things parents and children can do right now to get through the next few months. Um, I think a lot of people have definitely reconnected with nature. Like I know when I'm out and about or on the trails, I see more people than I ever have. Um, so I think this is something we've all uh, been forced to do in a way um, because we can't uh, get together indoors or see each other indoors in the, in the same capacity we used to be able to. So um, what are your thoughts on that? And, and why do you think it's so important to uh, be out in nature or be practicing mindfulness right now? So maybe I'll ask Dr. Mary to start um, with this question and then I'll hear from Dr. Jen. Yes, I, I just, it's been one of these sort of silver linings of this time, um, just people's reconnection with nature and, and what a great coping strategy that is for so many reasons. Um, it's one of my favorites, to be honest with you, but it, it's so important for us to really try to get ourselves out at least once a day and being in nature, it's one of the things that is um, so well able to counter a really high high levels of stress. And it also counters things like screen time and just other factors that might be contributing to difficulties that we're having. Um, the importance of moving our body and really focusing on what that feels like, just the natural light, um, the mindful aspect, the feeling of the wind on our skin, um, what the vibrant colors look like, all of these little things, if we're taking notice of that, it's hugely protective of our well-being. Um, so one of my favorite coping strategies, for sure. Absolutely. And how about you, Dr. Jen? Yeah, I think like Dr. Mary was saying, it's just, it's, it's, um, you know, one of the positives, I think that has come out of, uh, out of the pandemic, just more people, I've never seen so many cross-country skiers and snowshoers, and it's, it's fantastic. And uh, another piece to it too, is um, often that, that's, that's the way that uh, we're able to socialize right now. Um, again, obviously we have to follow the rules and regulations, but for a lot of the, the kids and teens that I work with, that's the only way that they can socialize is going outside and doing something. So they're getting these benefits that are coming all over the place. It's um, the socialization socialization piece, which they, which they love, they've also got the exercise and the fresh air, right? So it's all these uh, different positives that are coming together. And uh, even for some of my clients, they've been talking about how they have uh, found themselves enjoying some of these exercises that they didn't used to enjoy, just because it has these, these positive, they have these positive associations with, this is something I do with my friends now, uh, which I think has been uh, really, really positive for, for my, for all the kids that I see. Yeah, I would agree with you, right? It's so great to see all the kids out at the park or on the skating rinks or, um, you know, skiing or whatever it is that they're able to do, depending on where they live. But uh, reconnecting with each other outdoors in nature um, has definitely been a huge benefit, I think, of, of this whole situation that we're experiencing. It's really interesting too, because I, uh, you know, it's, it's I, I am a big, uh, I always talk to, to my uh my uh, kids that I see about our three anchors, right? Like we talked about before, there's sleep, there's eating, there's exercise, and just the connection between all of those 
those three things, right? So when we're exercising more, when we're getting more fresh air, we're sleeping better. And when we're sleeping better, then we're making healthier choices around our food and around exercising and we're more motivated, right? And all of these things help with our mood and they help us to feel a lot better. I also really like how Dr. Jen pointed out that, you know, sometimes initially we don't enjoy these things right away, but over time we really come to enjoy them. And I think that's such an important thing to highlight. It might not feel good immediately, but if we can kind of push through that discomfort, very often we come to a place where we actually look forward to these things. And that's often the case um, with coping strategies that help with things like low mood. Um, initially, they really don't feel good. It takes a lot of effort. It's really a struggle getting yourself outside or getting yourself to move your body. Um, but if we can just push through that discomfort, it ends up being really helpful and very often something that we look forward to. That's, uh, that's actually one of the things I talk to, uh, to my kids about a lot too, is just trying to make it a habit. I'm, I'm a big, uh, all of, all of my, uh, my patients right now would agree that I, I really push for these healthy habits and, uh, and I do it in my own life as well, where, you know, I kind of caught myself and there was a couple of days where I didn't leave the house and that's so unlike me. Um, but I, you know, decided, okay, I'm going to get outside every single day and it, you know, at in the beginning, it might only be five minutes a day, but it's building that habit. And then like you say, Dr. Mary, it starts to become more positive and you kind of enjoy it. And then it just becomes part of your routine. So it becomes easier and, and you have a lot more fun doing it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree with you. And I think that's something that comes up quite often in, in clinical practice, this idea of when your motivation is low, when you're feeling helpless, how do you move past that um, sense of, of feeling, right? How you're feeling and how you feel like you can't um, go anywhere further, right? So um, sometimes we have to act before we feel different. You know, most times we think it's the opposite. We'll wait for the time or the day that we feel better and then we'll do something. But um, in fact, often it, it's the exact opposite where we have to do before we feel better. So um, getting out there, forcing yourself out the door, uh, changing your habit and then uh, that in improvement and how you're feeling uh, will come later and often does right so um, we see that often uh, with kids or teenagers um, struggling with depression right so in a way um, this COVID situation is not all that dissimilar right where we're all feeling kind of um, helpless and uh, we're very limited in in our coping strategies so we have to do um, or use the strategies we can to get out of that funk Right. Mm -hmm. um, so I think I think that totally makes sense and um, applies to the situation for sure. Um, the next topic I wanted to discuss with you is around um, the importance of setting healthy boundaries, uh, not only for ourselves as parents, but also for our children. Um, and, and what I mean by that is, you know, we're constantly inundated with um, scary media Um you know, things like expectations um, around safety and, and behaviors uh, about what we should be doing, like how often we should be washing our hands or mask wearing and that sort of thing. Um, and just generally setting expectations for ourselves uh, with other people, for example, um, or what we can can't do right now or what we're able to do. So I thought we'd spend a couple of minutes talking about that, uh, setting healthy boundaries for ourselves and why that's important for mental health. Um, so maybe I'll start with, start with Dr. Mary here and, and then ask Dr. Jen her thoughts on that. 
So I think this is a really good point to consider um, and it's sort of similar to what Dr. Jen touched on before, but just it's also you know important to consider our own well-being and our own mental health. And this is obviously necessary for our own functioning, but also for the functioning of our kids and our families. So healthy boundaries really fits within this, um, you know, kind of looking after ourselves, acts of self-care um, and recognizing, again, this is a really difficult circumstance to be in. It's going, it's been going on for a long time. There's a lot of uncertainty and there isn't a clear endpoint. So these are all very challenging factors. Um, and we're just inundated with so much information coming at us at all times. Um, so we really want to pay attention to our consumption of media and heavy information. Also really noticing how it's making us feel. Um, so for myself, for example, I noticed when I was on my phone, you know, sort of doom scrolling or um, reading news a lot, it was affecting my mood. So I switched that out for, you know, reading an enjoyable book instead at the times that I would just by default go to my phone and kind of look at all of this um, heavy information about COVID. So setting those healthy boundaries and very much checking in with how we're feeling about our consumption of media is a really important start. Yeah, I agree. And it's funny, the other day, my seven-year-old said, hey, mom, does coronavirus look like this? And then she described the picture of coronavirus where it's this ball with spikes coming out of it. And I said to myself, where did she expose herself to this information, right? Like, how, where did she see this? Or where did she hear about this? But I guess it comes in ways that we don't necessarily notice, right? Whether it be on TV or perhaps through things they're learning at school. Um, but it was really interesting because we we go out of our way, like we never have the news on here, right? So um, where she picked that up, I have no idea, but it's really interesting, um, you know, to notice what our children are exposed to even um, when we're not uh, aware of it, right? So, um, and, and it made me quite alarmed at the beginning. I said, oh gosh, maybe, you know, she's seeing things that we're not aware of or, um, you know, learning about things we're not aware of. But anyhow, I thought it was interesting um, to see her uh, <clears throat> make notes. Yeah, it's everywhere. It's everywhere we go, right? Signs when we're out and about. Um, yeah, this coronavirus symbol of, of that virus, uh, the way it looks, right? And, and um, it's kind of scary, actually, for young kids. Um, like, what is this thing? Um, but yeah, so I think I think that's a good point, you know, setting healthy boundaries, especially around media, because it's never ending, um, right? The and, and once one thing is... Um, not report anymore, there's a new headline, right? A new headline to focus on and to worry about. And it's exhausting. Um, and although I think it is very important to be aware of the risks and to, um, you know, educate the public about what the risks are so that we can uh, be safe and, and um, for coronavirus to get better, I think it also has, unfortunately, uh, a lot of negative consequences for mental health, right? It's this chronic uh, very chronic um, stress that we're exposed to in this uh, chronic state of um, flight or fight or alarm being uh, alarmed over something scary happening, right? It's not a short-term um, stress inducer. It's long-term, it's chronic, and it's um, exhausting mentally. Um, yeah. So being very uh, aware of how you're feeling, like Dr. Mary said, when you're reading about these things or listening to them or discussing them, yes. even with um, other adults, right? That's something I've noticed myself doing 
too often is sometimes, you know, when I see another parent and you just want to de-stress and discuss things with one another and talk about, you know, how hard it's been, but you know, your children are in earshot. Um, you have to kind of be aware of their listening all the time. Um, and, and it is stressing them out, even if they're not acknowledging it or saying it out loud to you. Right. So when they go to bed at night, they're thinking about some of the things you may or may not have said in front of them right? Or on the phone when you're talking to someone. So being aware that they're always listening and that you want to um, try your very best. It's not going to be perfect, right? We're stressed too, but try your very best to uh, monitor what you're saying and how you're saying it and the messaging around that as well. Um, okay. So Dr. Jen, uh, what are your thoughts on setting healthy boundaries? Um, well, it was actually interesting as Dr. Mary was talking, I was uh, <laughs> thinking about uh, advice that, uh, that I that I use for my practice as well as is in my personal life. And it's just basically thinking about some of the things you do and just assessing, is this helpful or harmful? Right. And so when Mary was talking about, you know, like you're scrolling through the news and you're feeling your anxiety go up, well, that's probably not going to be very helpful. Um, you know, and kind of working through some of the different things we're doing day to day where it's like, is this going to be something that makes me feel better or makes me feel worse? Right. And trying to choose some of those those healthier uh, behaviors, healthier habits, healthier practices that are going to, you know, going to really promote um, our mental health rather than making us feel worse. And, um, you know, and I think that's, that works for all ages too, right? Where you're kind of, and you're kind of thinking, what are your kids allowed to do as well? And is it going to be helpful or harmful? And thinking through that. Um, another thing that I often uh, think about is just, I look at what we can control versus what we can't control, just because, especially right now, you know, again, we, we look at the headlines in the news and they, they just make us spiral out, right? And uh, mm -hmm. it's really easy to kind of get caught up in these spirals and you start catastrophizing. And so I find that I just kind of, when I catch myself doing that, I'll say, okay, there's lots of things that I'm thinking about that I have no control over and I'm just wasting energy and it's making me more anxious. So I just take that step back and think about, okay, but what is something I can control right now in the moment in the here and now? So maybe do something that's going to make me feel better. Maybe get outside, maybe get some exercise, play a game with my son, right? Just trying to find some things that I can control that are going to make me feel better rather than those things that I can't control. Yeah. And to just add on to what Dr. Jen is saying there, I think also really being realistic about the goals that we're setting for ourselves, like focusing on those things that we can control, recognizing that we won't be able to accomplish what we normally would when we're not in a pandemic, um, and really thinking about what our priorities are, rather than trying to do everything or trying to focus on these things that aren't in our control. Um, you know, I, I like to do that and talk to my clients about that as well at the start of your day, kind of setting out what are my priorities for today? What are the most important things rather than getting caught up with all of these, you know, just different things that pull at our attention all day long? Yes, I, I agree with you. I think that's an excellent point of managing our expectations for ourselves and our children, especially around academics this year and not expecting them to perform as they usually would given the unusual circumstances in which they're learning either in person or online. Um, and so, you know, being kind to ourselves as well as our children and, and expecting um, a little bit less from them this year in a way so that uh, we're not constantly trying to meet um, this high standard that they can't achieve. You know, we're already under enough stress as it is as parents, um, as, as children that we don't need to add that layer of uh, high expectations. And that's the same for us as parents, I think is being okay 
with um, not being perfect parents right now or not being perfect at our job, uh, managing those expectations, uh, especially if you're someone who is a high achiever, right? That's a tough thing to do. Um, but I think that's something, you know, a topic that comes up a lot in uh, sessions, clinical sessions right now is this idea of it's okay not to do that much today, or it's okay that, um, you know, you didn't ace that, that test at school this year. Um, right. And, and that's a tough one because I think we live in a, in a society that is, you know, very much uh, competitive and, um, you know, we're always striving for the best and, oh, something my clients often say, I don't know if you hear this in your sessions, but I'm not living my best life, right? This idea of my best life, um, you know, and I've been saying to them, yeah, that's okay this year, right? I don't think any of us are living our best life this year. It's not in the cards uh, for this year for anybody. We were just talking about the importance of setting healthy boundaries and why that's um, so important for our mental health right now, for our children as well. And I had a thought about um, how we should respond to our children's questions about COVID right now and why uh, we should be aware of how we're responding to those questions. So Dr. Jen, I know you spoke earlier about the importance of normalizing their feelings, um, you know, letting them know it's okay to have worries or to feel stress right now. Um, did you have anything else to add to that? Like if a child came up to you and said, I'm really worried about COVID, what may be your response? Yeah. So I think firstly, it's just, it's really important for kids to know that it's okay to communicate how they're feeling about it um, and what their questions are about it. You know, I think we all have a lot of concerns and worries. And as parents, sometimes we feel like we have to know all the answers and we have to know the right answers. Um, but the truth is that sometimes we don't and that's okay. But the idea is just letting your kids be able to express it and kind of walking through some of those worries together and kind of, you know, wondering about some of those things. I think it could be really helpful or I, I typically do encourage the kids to um, you know, kind of lead that discussion, right? So rather than me putting my worries on that person, it's more about them just kind of opening up. Um, and even uh, in my practice, I'll often say to, to the kids that I work with, you know, um, well, one of my typical questions now is how's your COVID anxiety, right? And it's just kind of getting them to talk about, you know, um, what some of those worries are. And some of them are, you know, well, I'm done with that. I'm not worried anymore. Um, some of them are, you know, worried about all sorts of different things. Um, and some, for some, it's, you know, they, they read the most recent headline and they're concerned about what they've just read, right? But it's really about getting them to open up, to talk about it. Uh, one of the things I do with some of my younger uh, kids that I work with is getting them to, uh, to draw it out. Um, and that can be really helpful too. And uh, even for some young kids, um, you know, they're not in the office right now because it's all virtual, um, but uh, even playing um, with different toys and kind of being able to communicate some of those, their feelings through play can also be really helpful. That's a great suggestion. Yeah, I think kids do naturally express a lot of their feelings through play and, and how we can observe and um, sometimes uh, interact with them during play in order to uh, alleviate some of that stress uh, that they're feeling. Um, or, or acknowledge that stress, right? Um, yeah, yeah. I think about even the example you gave Layla with, with your daughter, right? And showing you that picture, right? And is this what COVID looks like, right? Because it looks, it looks scary. It looks intimidating. It, it, it looks, you know, something really awful to see and with the spikes and everything, right? And so that's a good opportunity to kind of talk a little bit about it and, you know, what, how she feels about it and, and things like that, right? Mm -hmm, I agree. Um, and how about you, Dr. Mary? How do you think, uh, you know, uh, we should respond to children's questions about COVID? 
Yeah. So in addition to what Dr. Jen is saying about it, you know, really providing that validation of their feelings, helping them to understand that it's normal um, to feel worried about some of this stuff. Also, sometimes working through some of the more catastrophic thoughts that they might have, you know, kids very often or for any of us, when we have anxiety, our brain immediately goes to this place of really catastrophic thinking, like if I get COVID, I will die sorts of thoughts. Um, And sometimes working through some of those can be really helpful. You know, most people who, who get it, even if that does happen, they recover and they're okay. Um, but really importantly, recognizing that a lot of our worry is about things that could happen, things that might happen, not things that are actually happening. So this sort of goes back to that sense of focusing on what's in our control and um, doing our best to stay present. So when those worries and those really anxious thoughts start to take us down this path um, of, of stress, trying to disengage from that a little bit, doing a mindfulness exercise together that helps us check in with our body to check in with how our body is feeling. Okay. What signs am I noticing in my body that are communicating my feelings to me? Um, I think those are also really nice exercises to do with children as a way of kind of disengaging from some of those thoughts as well. Just, uh, just to add to, to what uh, Dr. Barry is saying, you know, like, I think there's, there's that checking in with your body that's so critical and so important and taking deep breaths and, and, and that side of things. And then the other side that I often speak to as well is, is your mindset. Um, and, you know, I often talk about there's sort of the victim mentality versus the survivor mentality and, and really kind of focusing on trying to, to find a sense of empowerment. Right. And so, um, you know, kind of saying things to yourself like this is tough, but we can handle what what's going to happen, right? This is tough, but we can handle it and really working through things that way. I agree. And I, and I like um, the suggestion of, of checking in with your body, but also acknowledging when we are catastrophizing or uh, overthinking and also checking in with some more realistic thinking. And and this is true for all types of anxiety and this is no different, right? So um, trying to take it down a notch from what we're exposed to in the media and realize that yes, of course there's dangers associated with COVID, uh, especially for high risk groups. Um, But the majority of um, children, especially, will be okay if they catch coronavirus, um, as well as young adults, right? So um, reminding them of that, uh, of that um, fact is important in managing the anxiety. Um, another question I had come up was, how do we know when our children are struggling uh, to a point where they actually need professional help? Like it's more than just uh, normal levels of anxiety or stress. Uh, How do we know when our kids um, need a bit more support um, from a professional? Uh, Maybe I'll ask Dr. Mary that question first. Yeah. So first of all, you know, it's really important to keep in mind that parents are the ones who know their children best. So, you know, I always talk to the parents that I see um, and encourage them to trust their gut regarding how, how their child child is doing. Um, Really pay attention to your own feeling. Don't dismiss that. Don't ignore that. That's important to consider. Um, In terms of signs to look for, one of the biggest 
things is when our children's symptoms are interfering in their daily functioning. So this might look like things like increased talk about their worries where they're not able to contain it. It's kind of, you, you see it growing and it's bleeding into everything. Um, you might notice that they're crying more frequently. One of the really important ones when we're talking about children and teenagers in particular is noticing more frequent expressions of anger. Um, because for children, anger very often acts as a secondary emotion that's masking these other areas of struggle, like sadness and fear. So if we're noticing our kids are just, you know, kind of lashing out or having meltdowns a lot or yelling at us or, or doing things that are marking a change in their previous functioning, um, oftentimes there's something else that's behind that. Um, and things like difficulty coping with some of the smaller stuff, you know, um, something that not usually a really big deal results in a very strong emotional reaction. Um, of course, we also want to look for some of the bigger things like, you know, harmful behaviors or risky behaviors. Um, as Dr. Jen has mentioned, noticing changes in those three anchors, the eating, the sleeping, um, just, you know, our activity level, um, possibly withdrawal from activities that they really enjoyed before. So these are all things that we would look for that would indicate, you know, their, their difficulties are you know, um, getting into that next level of impairment. Yes. I think those are all very important points that, um, you've raised and this idea of, of changes in behavior as well. Right. So for example, if you, um, previously had a child who did quite well at school, um, keeping in mind that this year is different in terms of how they're learning um, and our expectations for them, had they all of a sudden stopped performing or they're unable to concentrate or to learn uh, the way that they used to, right? So looking, for example, um, at a marked change in behavior, I think is, is very important as well. Or like you mentioned with mood, right? So uh, a previously happy-go-lucky child is now tearful or angry every day. Um, that can be an indication that um, they're really struggling. Um, and I, and I often give the analogy in, in clinical work, um, and as I'm sure you do as well of, you know, our stress is, is, um, kind of like a cup that keeps filling, right? So eventually that cup is going to spill over. And, and that's when we know we don't have the coping strategies to deal with the stress that, um, we're living with. Right. So when you see that spillover effect of the, um, changes in behavior or the outbursts or a lot of irritability or anger, uh, that can be a sign that their cup is just too full and they need some extra support um, to empty their cup. Dr. Jen, um, here's a question. What, you know, as we're moving past, um, hopefully, um, some of the severity around COVID and the um, prevalence and, and as the immunization gets rolled out and uh, hopefully as time goes on, uh, COVID becomes a thing of the past, um, what are some of the signs we should be looking out for uh, that could indicate that kids are not doing well long-term? So, uh, you know, six months from now, a year from now, let's say, um, what are some of the signs that could possibly pop up that may indicate that um, our children are still not coping well or are still thinking about, um, in a way, this trauma that we're all experiencing, right? I, I would word it as a trauma. I don't know if you would agree with me, but I feel like this whole experience is quite traumatic um, for children, especially. Um, what are some of the signs or symptoms that it's still affecting kids long-term? Yeah. So 
You know, I think it's it's it'll be interesting. Um, it's hard to predict what things are going to look like down the road. Um, and it'll be kind of interesting to see. One of the things that I think actually works in our favor is just the way that things are opening back up um, is a, slow, a bit of a, a staggered process, right? So, you know, s- schools have uh, here, um, at least at the moment, opened back up, right? Um, an in-person school, but some of the, a lot of the sports haven't opened back up and a lot of the other things haven't opened back up. So it's kind of this staggered approach, which I think is really helpful just for kids to be able to kind of slowly get back into okay, I'm not allowed to have a sleepover yet um, or go to a birthday party yet, um, you know, but I am able to see some of my friends at a distance or in a ma- wearing a mask at school, right? And it's kind of a bit of a staggered approach, which I think is going to be helpful for a lot of people. Um, but when what you were talking about is more kind of once things have hopefully resumed to some sort of normal, um, I think what to look for is just if the kids aren't adjusting back into things very well, if they're really struggling. Um, Some of the things that Dr. Mary talked about earlier, um, if those things are still happening down the road, um, that would indicate, you know, that there's, there's more going on. Um, And I would agree, you said trauma. um, And I would agree that it is, uh, has been traumatic for for a lot of people, uh, children, like you say, children as well. Um, And sometimes what we'll see, we talked about sleep earlier. Um, So sleep is very often an area that will be affected. So, you know, if uh, the children is experiencing nightmares or having difficulty falling asleep or waking up during the night, um, you know, that would be an indication that, hey, you know what, they're not, they're not doing as well as they should be or as well as we would expect right now. Um, other things is just their mood, right. And their motivation and kind of, you know, if they're, um, able to attend school and, and get to school on time. Um, and, uh, another big piece that we look for is just, are they enjoying things they used to enjoy? So once sports resume, are they enjoying that? Or are they really struggling with that? Um, so kind of looking at, again, it's sort of that, like that daily functioning and is there interference that we're seeing? Absolutely. I would agree with you. And I think, I think we do need to expect that it may take a little bit of time to transition back to normal life. Right. So, um, you know, that first day when, you know, our children are back at a team sport, for example, it's completely normal for them to feel overwhelmed or stressed, but as you know, time goes on, um, you know, children tend to be quite resilient, quite adaptable. We'd expect them to get used to the uh, new situation again. And for those worries to go down, but it is completely normal in the first few days or the first few activities um, that they engage in to feel a little bit more stress. Um, But beyond that period of of normal adjustment, if they're continuing to display distress or worry, um, then we may be more concerned with with some of that behavior, right? Uh, I think as well, just checking in with them and making sure that they're feeling okay, right? So um, it wouldn't be so much, you know, like maybe it's the first hockey practice and and you notice your child isn't quite as as excited and and uh, involved as they normally are um rather than say to them hey i noticed you weren't really you know yourself out there you might just say hey how did you feel about the practice right and again it comes back to what we discussed earlier about just getting them to open up getting them to lead the discussion uh getting them to talk about how they were feeling out there yes that's a good point for sure leaving it open-ended right for them to uh, express themselves and, and instead of making assumptions could it, it could be anything right it could be anything at all it could be worries about you know catching coronavirus at hockey practice or it could just be feeling a bit overwhelmed being in a large group again um you know from uh from that perspective so it could be something we're not thinking of or that um we're assuming um and we want to leave the questions open-ended so that they can express themselves the way um that they're feeling 
Dr. Jen, what do you think are the top three coping tools uh, parents can use or take away messages in terms of dealing with COVID stress? So I think my number one and sort of the easiest one in my go-to is when I'm feeling really overwhelmed, just to take a few minutes and breathe, just take some deep breaths in, deep breaths out, um, and just remind myself to be in the moment and that I'm okay, I'm safe. Um, yes, I'm stressed out, um, but but I'll be all right, right? So just taking those few deep breaths, it really can help calm our nervous system. And once we've calmed our nervous system, then we can work on other things. So I'd say the first one would be just, just take a deep breath and, and just try and calm yourself down a little bit. Um, the second one I think would be just modeling those positive behaviors like we talked about. So again, kind of sticking to those anchors, our, our sleep, our exercise, our eating, just doing the best we can to model positive behaviors, trying to have a routine, um, trying to get out every day. Um, all of those things that we were talking about are, are going to be really important. Um, but within that, I think we also have to be thinking about um, the third one, um, which would be being kind to ourselves. So we're modeling positive behaviors, but we're not doing it perfectly. Um, we're kind of being the best versions of ourselves right now in this situation. Um, and so, you know, so I, again, it's kind of thinking the first one is just take a deep breath. The second one, just doing our best to kind of model those positive behaviors just for our own health, as well as our kids. Um, and then the third one, just being gentle on ourselves, being kind to ourselves, uh, knowing that we're doing the best we can given the situation. And that's okay right now. I think, you know, a, a few different things. I really like Dr. Jen's suggestion of, you know, doing those nice relaxation techniques that really help keep us in the moment and help us to disengage from some of those really unhelpful, anxious thoughts that come up. Um, but also doing things like really focusing on um, creating as much of a sense of normalcy as we can in this really strange situation, having a routine that's as predictable as it can be, um, you know, just maintaining calm in our environment, um, still trying to create things that we look forward to that are enjoyable. And I find, you know, just as a parent, there's, there's so much going on all the time and with work and, you know, for so many limited childcare, all of these different factors that are contributing to what we're going through right now. Um, but one of the things that I find is helpful is just trying to set aside little things for myself during the day um, that I can, that are actually manageable, that are not too ambitious. So, you know, bringing a really nice um, coffee in the car on my drive, listening to a podcast that I like to listen to um, just at the end of the evening, watching a TV show that I enjoy. Um, just having those moments to, you know, relax or to breathe wherever possible. Um, sometimes connecting again with somebody over the phone on a drive to work. So little things like that, that aren't so ambitious and unmanageable because of everything else that's going on, but um, just to help to kind of keep the sanity a little bit. Sounds great. Thank you both so much um, for discussing. And I look forward to recording our next podcast together um, in the future. So thank you. The Coping Toolbox, a child psych podcast, is available on Apple Podcasts. And Dr. Mary, Dr. Lila, and Dr. Jen will be putting out episode three very soon. Give them a follow and keep up to date with the latest in child psychology during the pandemic. Doctors Osman, Vrend, and McDonald are the subject of today's Psychology Month profile, which you can find at our website, cpa.ca.